G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You're not going to change by saying, oh, I need to be more generous. And you're not going to change by your pastor preaching a 40-minute sermon to you. You ought to be more generous. <laughs> no, that's the point. He says, to give largely and liberally and not begrudgingly requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. So what do you need? A new heart. I can't give that to you. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're talking about stealing again as we hear the rest of a message on the commandment, Thou shall not steal. Pastor Jeff is in his series, Ways to Freedom, looking at the Ten Commandments and reminding us that stealing can take many forms. Turn to Exodus chapter 20 as we hear the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Now, this is what our leaders don't get. Your your relationship to God governs your relationship to everyone and everything else. And sometimes that's why we're able to do amazing things. Now, I've used this story before. Let me use it again. Until I find a better one, I'll just keep throwing it out there. The number one story still requested today from Reader's Digest is a story about the life of Edith Taylor from Walter, Massachusetts, She married a man, the love of her life. She had a lovely family. Everything was going well in the story. And then her husband was called to war. He had to go to Japan. He wrote her religiously for months and months. And then suddenly the letter stopped coming. Her 12-year-old son wanted to know why her heart was broken. Had he been killed? What had happened? And finally, out of the blue, one day she got another letter. And the letter said, no matter how I say this, it's going to break your heart, Edith. I've fallen in love with another young Japanese girl. I'm not going to be coming home after the war. Just devastated her. Story goes on to say how her son came to her and said, just because daddy doesn't love us, does that mean we don't love him anymore? Please have dad send us photos of his new wife and children as the years go by. And he did. And with every letter that came and every photo, Edith's heart was broken all over. And then in an ironic twist... Years and years went by. She received another, le- another letter from her ex-husband describing how he had contracted cancer. He had days to live. And he had the audacity to ask Edith, who lived in her own poverty with her own kids, if he could scrape enough money in Japan to buy airline tickets, if he could fly his new wife and kids to New York, and if she would raise them and take care of them and help them to stand on their own two feet. She did. She raised the children of a betrayed love, taught them to stand on their own feet, and culminated her testimony by saying this, in that dark, dreary, hellish situation, I thank God for the ray of light and hope to share some of the love of Christ in this very dismal setting. How on earth could you do that? Only one way. Your relationship to God is so powerful that it influences everything. Your relationship to everything and everyone 
in every situation. Now, stay with me as we go around the corner here, okay? I want you to repeat a poem that I have written after me. It's cheesy, let me let you know that, but it's the way I need to say something to you, okay? Here we go, repeat after me. My pastor has issues. Man, usually I can't even get you to repeat anything, and you do that one with vigor and passion. Okay, you want to play that way? All right, let's do it again. My pastor has issues. My pastor is weird. My pastor's son has an impressive beard. But I listen to my pastor with considerable glee because I believe that he tells me what is best for me. Now, here is how God opened my eyes. And let me just tell you right now, let me tell you right now, do not think this is going to be another tithing sermon, okay? This is not a tithing sermon. This is about a generous heart, period, okay? Here's what I learned in Scripture. In Ephesians 4, 28, Paul says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Here's what Paul is saying. There are two ways to steal, through wrong taking, which we just spent 20 minutes on, or through wrong keeping. <coughs> through wrong taking or through wrong keeping. The main principle behind the command is that you don't just steal by taking what doesn't belong to you, but by keeping in your possession what doesn't belong to you. You remember the old saying that goes, when is a door not a door when it's a jar? Yeah, I know it's cheesy. I know it. When is a thief not a thief? When he stops stealing? No. He stops being a thief when he becomes radically generous. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Paul's saying that you're either stealing or you're radically generous and there's no in-between. And I find that incredibly convicting in my own life. The Bible teaches you've not stopped being a thief when you stop taking. You're a thief when you believe that everything you have comes from you. You're a thief when you believe that you are the landlord and the owner, not the tenant and the manager. You're a thief as long as you see everything that you have. You're the boss. You're the owner. You're the landlord. And that has to change. And the reason you're called a thief is because you're claiming that something that belongs to somebody else belongs to you. Did you hear that? You're a thief because you're claiming that something that belongs to somebody else belongs to you. The Bible is clear, very clear about this. From the beginning to the end, all of what you have, not some, not most, not a little bit, all of it, and all of it means all, belongs to, originates from, and is ultimately owned by God. You are a trustee, not an owner. You're a broker. You're a manager. Every inch of everything that you have, every little bit that you possess, is something that's been given to you by God as he shifts his resources so that you might take care on his behalf according to his priorities. Psalm 24, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 1 Corinthians 4, now we're in the New Testament. For who makes you different from anyone else? 
In other words, why are some wealthy and some are not? Some are more wealthy than others. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So you pray to God, God, open this door. Give me this job. Give me this promotion. He does. And then what do you do? You start treating it as if all of it's yours. John 3, 27. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Now, let me show you how this works. Let me t- Eye-opening, convicting, incredibly convicting for me. Because all my life, I thought, well, you just tithe and give a little offering and that's fine. No, this is not about tithing. It's not about offering. It's not about giving to the church. It's about a disposition of your heart in general out there. Okay? So let's say you get hired to be the groundskeeper. You're in charge of this whole facility. You got, you got that big ring of keys. You know, we have like 30 keys and they're greasy and oily and your wife wishes you'd leave them at the office because you can get into any door. You got power. You can go anywhere you want at any time. And to a degree, you can allow people in and not allow people in. You can tell the kids to get off the grass because maybe it's hurting the grass somehow. You can start... You can start operating as an owner rather than the manager and suddenly think that you're the boss of everything around here. And you can start telling people, no, I'm not going to let you use that classroom. I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you use the kitchen and I'm not going to let you play soccer on the field. Amazing. You're not the owner. You can't go and sell the gardening equipment. You're, you're the manager. You're not the owner. Point is, at, at any point you start acting like you're the owner, you're a thief. You're taking or you're living as though something belongs to you that belongs to somebody else. God puts this so clearly in Scripture. Malachi 3 says, everything you have is mine. So the very best of everything I've entrusted to you goes to what I'm concerned about, what God is concerned about. What's God concerned about? Deuteronomy 15, 7. If anyone is poor among you, in any of the towns of the land of the Lord your God is giving to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. In other words, saying, don't... Don't refrain from giving to the poor. It's not your money anyway. It's mine. Give it to what I'm concerned about. People who are poor. God's people. Also, God's house. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, I don't apply that to here. I'm just simply saying that God says, I'm concerned about my house. Take care of my house. He's also saying, I'm concerned about my work. Second Corinthians 9.6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So there's an assumption that the most important endeavor in your life is to sow seed. And anytime seed is used in the Bible, it's in reference to helping people far from God come near, to plant a seed, to grow it, and it takes root in their heart. So basically, God says this, everything you have is mine. And I'm an incredible, generous God. You get to spend so much of it on yourself, he says. But remember, it's not yours. I'm the owner, and I want you to be radically generous toward God's people, God's house, and God's work. And here's the clincher. He says, if you don't, you're a thief. That's hard to take. In Malachi 3, he uses that exact word. He says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how do we rob you, God? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. So God says, I'm not going to be an enabler. I've asked you to bring this in. You don't bring it in because you think it's yours. So I'm closing the windows of heaven and there are no more blessings going to be poured out on you. You know, it'd be one thing if God said to me, Jeff, you know what? You're not radically generous. You're stingy. You're tight. You're selfish. I could deal with that. He doesn't say that. He uses the word thief. If I think that everything I have belongs to me and then I'm asked to give it away, 
You could just call me stingy. Leave it at that. But if everything belongs to God and I'm the manager and the owner asks the manager to distribute it the way he says he wants it distributed and I refuse to do it, I'm a thief. I'm operating as if what is belonging to someone else belongs to me. We're too busy saying mine, mine, mine. And God is saying, no, 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 no. His, his, his. This is so hard to take. When you start to realize that being a thief is not simply taking what doesn't belong to you, but it's keeping something that you don't own. Look, look. Isn't it true that it's far easier to spend somebody else's money? Come on. It's easy to spend. I got a friend, Katie, who works for the PGA Tour. Here's what she does. They fly her all around the world to every PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, and Champions Tour event. She stands on the first tee, and here's her job on, on, uh, on the first day of the tournament, which is usually Thursday. She has this long list. And by the way, they're looking for more people to do this. So if you're interested, you might want to pop me an email. But she has this long list, and she says, Mr. Tiger Woods, what driver are you playing today? What, is the, what type of ball are you playing? She records all this information for the tour. She makes not a lot of money. She makes somewhere around $1,500 a month. But when she goes to these trips, everything's paid for. So basically, she spends no money. They pay hotel, food. So she goes and works on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, does whatever she wants to do before they fly her to the next tournament. Now, if you know somebody else is paying for all this, you don't care... You don't care if the light is left on at Motel 6. You ain't staying there, <laughs> are you? No, 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 no. Somebody else is paying. You're going to the Ritz-Carlton, aren't you? Yeah. You go out for a meal. You're not going to Mickey D's. No, I don't think so. You're going to the finest restaurant you can find to have the best meal you can find. It's far easier spending somebody else's money. You're not going to Uber. You're going to rent a car, and it's going to be like a Corvette or something. If there are no questions asked, I mean, you're going you're gonna to live high on the hog. Why? Because it's not your money. It's far easier to spend somebody else's money. God is saying, all of you need a paradigm shift. This money in your pocket is not yours. It's mine. And I'm telling you how it's to be dispersed generously to my work, my house, and my people. It's like God says to us, man, I put you in charge of the garden. Now you think you're the owner. You think you're the boss. So that the Bible tells us that everybody falls into one of two categories. You see everything as his or you see everything as yours. If you see everything as yours, you're not going to be generous. But if you really see everything as his, you're going to be radically generous. There's no other place to go. Before I finish this, you say, well, Jeff, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe that's true. Because everything I have is mine. I've worked hard for it. All right. Then why did you pray that God would open doors and give you opportunities and grant you a job and give you favor? Who gave you breath to live? Who gave you strength to work? Why do you pray to God to give you good health so that you can be able to work? Why do you pray that God gives you favor in your business? Why? If it, if it all originates from you, what are you doing praying to God? Forget him. Leave him out. Just do it on your own. The Bible says everything that you have comes from God, belongs to God. <laughs> And somewhere along the line, you forgot that everything you, everything you have originated from someplace else and has now been leased to you. Now, what the Bible basically says is this. If your thinking's right, you're a radically generous person. We're not talking about tithing to the church right now. We're talking about just as you go to coffee clutch and you see someone in poverty. We're talking about... I don't know. We're talking about somebody that's in need in your neighbor. The Bible says, 
If your heart's been changed, you are a radically generous person, period. Now, here's why I can't help you. (laughs) It goes back to what we said a few weeks ago. I can't help you. I can't change your heart. And you know what? You can't man- I can't manipulate you in this. I can only share the message, but I, I can't coerce or manipulate you in this. Actually, you can't even coerce or manipulate yourself in this. If you go out here and think, man, I'm gonna, you're going to talk to my, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be, well, you'll do it for a week, but gone. You can only do this when your heart's been changed and you see the world as it really is. You say, well, if that's true, why do you keep preaching these messages? You know why I keep preaching these messages? Because I'm going to treat everybody like a believer until you realize you're not. You say, man, I don't have that heart. Well, that's because Jesus has not transformed you, which means the gospel to you might be a loophole rather than a way of life. It may be an insurance policy for you just in case there is a God rather than an intimate relationship with a God who has placed his spirit inside you to transform you from the inside out. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, I'm, this is not me, I gotta get out of here. Well, of course you are. Of course you are. But if you're sitting there thinking, man, he's right. It's, I'm good at it, but I'm not great at it. And you're praying to your, God, help me be better. Oh, you know, you know what? That is a test of authenticity. You've just authenticated who you really are. Your thought right now is giving you away. Robert Murray McShane said, I fear there are many hearing me who now know they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally and not begrudgingly requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. What's he saying? You're not going to change by saying, oh, I need to be more generous. And you're not going to change by your pastor preaching a 40-minute sermon to you. You ought to be more generous. (laughs) No, that's McShane's point. He says, to give largely and liberally and not begrudgingly requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. So what do you need? A new heart. I can't give that to you. I can help kickstart it. All you need to do is stare at this for a large amount of time. And remember what this stands for. He who was rich became poor so that you could become rich. You had no hope. You had no future. This world is all there is, but now you live for a kingdom that is unshakable. And once that dawns on you, and you receive this Christ into your life, you'll never have to hear another sermon on radical generosity. It's a byproduct. You know, Jeremiah and Gabby, Jeremiah is one of our worship leaders. His young wife, they just had their first child. That kid's got the biggest head, man. It's like Charlie Brown. (laughs) That's why they put a hat on this kid, man. That's okay. I was like that. And so was my son. So this is Gabby and Jer- love these guys. Jeremiah, since he came to our church, our worship has changed and so many good things have happened. Gabby, his lovely wife, man, she did a lot of trips to Kenya. She loved that. She spent some time in Zimbabwe. Most of you know that she was diagnosed with cancer and it's, I guess it's been about six months ago and it's a very, very aggressive time. And every time we got a report, it was worse and worse when the doctor operated on her. He came out eight hours later sweating. He had never seen so much cancer. Reports kept coming back. We've been praying like crazy. And I'm thinking, these guys are going through this. I mean, can you imagine how bad that is? I mean, been married just over a year or so. So Jeremiah's got this wife and this wife's got a new child and she can't be with the child. She can't feed the child the way she wants to because of of everything she's going through. 
Jeremiah told me that they, the doctor said it, they were supposed to get the report two weeks later and it ended up, be, they put it off even more. And I'm thinking, oh boy. And then we got a text that she doesn't have to do radiation anymore. The cancer's not there. And so I, I thought, I thought, man, God is so good. We, Pastor Phil went over and prayed for it. Of course, when Pastor Phil prays for you, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Just warning you. <laughs> but they were at our a dinner this past, this past uh, Friday night. And I saw her come in. And I thought, oh, this is great. She's here. And I saw a look on both their faces that I recognized because of 30 years of ministry. And here's what the look is. Uh-oh. They get it now. They get it. That the most important thing in life is your wife and your husband and your kids and your neighbors and your family. You can see it in their eyes. How long it will last? Probably until the next tragedy. And that's why I say the only way I could help you start the transformation of your heart is if God pulls the rug out from under you and you got nothing. And you start to really see what matters, then you'll become radically generous after he restores you. I don't want to pray that prayer for you. I read a quote this past week. Oh man, Andrew Carnegie, a man who dies rich dies disgraced. What's he mean? You should leave nothing on the field. It should all be given away. Thou shalt not steal. Wrong taking, wrong keeping. And I think when we stand before God, God's going to say, hey, all those resources I shifted your way, how'd you use them? For some of you who live just above the poverty line, if you read the New Testament, the woman who gave the widow's might was the most generous person in the New Testament. It's not how much you own. It's not how much you give. It's the percentage of your life that models radical generosity. God help us. Thou shalt not steal. Father, thank you for the power of your word. I pray right now that our eyes would be open, that for a transformed heart, there is a byproduct of a radical generosity. When we, once we understand what you've done for us, that he who was immeasurably rich became staggeringly poor so that we could become uh, so wealthy that it would be unfathomable. That one day we step into a kingdom that will never end, in relationships that will never end, a place where there is no death, a place where honor, respect given to each other and to our God, where he will be our God and we will be his people. I pray that you would do what you need to do in our lives to open our eyes to what this world, what our life is really about, that we would invest in something that truly matters and that we would lose our sense of narcissism where everything we have goes onto ourselves and that we would see people being created in the image of God to be loved and to be valued. May we be that at least as a church first, that we'd get our house in order for the people of God, and then to our community in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. 
Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.